You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. And a very warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast. A left response to the major developments in capitalism. What they trade in is not wheat. They trade in famine. A little dose of revolutionary optimism. I think it's really important to sort of express solidarity globally. It really is a deal by corporations for corporations. The union forever defending our rights down with the black If you think the ABC's left wing, don't listen to this program. Solidarity Breakfast, 7.30 to 9am Saturdays, 3CR, 8.55am streaming and 3CR digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, solidaritybreakfast.org.au. Solidarity forever! Good morning, everybody. This is Annie for Solidarity Breakfast this morning. And uh, we've got plenty of things to uh, offer you this morning with your breakfast. The uh, Or whenever you're listening to us, of course, we are podcast. The... Um, uh, big one of the big issues in town at the moment is the uh, desire to get rid of the uh, PFAS that's uh, being uh, found in the uh, the tunnel that they're building out in the west, and uh, everything's stopped there because uh, it's so poisonous, and they've got to come up with a result. Now, the uh, state government, you'll be aware, has and uh, Transurban, uh, it's been led by tra- Transurban has uh, said that, uh, oh, a likely place is out in Wyndham and uh, down near Werribee and everybody down that way is up in arms and they had a major uh, event uh, early on Tuesday. Uh, On Tuesday evening they had an event. It was a big event and it was actually auspiced by the council because uh, it wasn't your usual demonstration. It was... uh, a, a set up with a, um, a uh, you know security and event organisers and uh, uh, a stage and uh, the um, farmers from uh, out that way that the market gardeners came down in their big truck tractors and it was a big affair and uh, so we went down there and we collected some uh, some stuff for you to hear the uh, voices from the West who once again are uh, seeing themselves as uh, the uh, place where toxic waste is supposed to just disappear off the landscape while everybody else comfortably sleeps in their bed. But they're not going to take it lying down. So let's hear from them. This is a bit of a word from the street and then we'll go to a few speeches. To the river? Really? Yeah. So, you want to sign the petition? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course, yeah. That's great. I appreciate that. It's all right. Oh. Why are they um, dumping here? Well, I haven't. It's a proposed site. Although there are some questions around it as to whether they've already started, but um, supposedly it's a temporary uh, measure. Oh, yeah. Um, but how long is temporary? We don't know, and they won't tell us. We don't know the results of the. Um, uh, the reports that they've had done testing on the uh, PFAS. So, um, oh, thank you. Turning the whole ruby into rubbish collection, huh? Yeah, well, we get a bit tired of it down here. Anyway, have a good day. Thank you. Uh, also, uh, I don't think temporary, once you bury something in the ground, 
I haven't said anything about burying it, or not to my knowledge, um, only that uh, it's going to be put onto a particular government site down there. Um, and it is, as I say, it's in close proximity to a lot of the um, housing, new housing estates and uh, close to the river, where um, depending on how long it's there, it could also leach into the soil and um, leach through the soil into the river. And of course, that uh, feeds a lot of the market gardens as well. So what, are, are you saying, have you got the impression they're going to put it into containers? Uh, no, I, we don't know what their plan, plan is, their full plan, um, other than they've said they are going to temporarily store it down there, but we don't know how long temporary is. And you know, for all the uh, tests and all the uh, things, it's the same chemicals that they shut down Fiskville uh, over, so we don't want it in Wyndham Vale, oh, sorry, in Wyndham as a whole. Yeah. Can I ask you a few questions about why you're here? Oh, you certainly can. Yeah, tell me. Well, I was heavily involved in the campaign back in the 80s and 90s to stop a toxic waste dump here. And we had community consultation in those days. We've now got a situation where there's a bunch of contaminated soil that needs to be dumped somewhere. And our local member of parliament has made an arbitrary decision to dump it at Manor Lakes without any consultation with the general public and he's selling out his electorate. Now I'm here to do whatever I can to help prevent that. It was a big, it was a big community issue in those days and I remember standing on a rostrum at the Werribee Racecourse and um, looking out over the, the, the mounds at the, at the racecourse at the, the crowd coming over the top to, uh, to protest and there were over 15,000 people there. Now that's called community in action and that's what this requires is the local community to pull together and make sure that Tim Pallas is defeated and, um, and, and, and he really needs to be because let's face it he's the treasurer he's the state treasurer he should be looking at the budget yet he's taken it upon himself to take on this issue and push this issue and uh, help solve a problem for the government and as I say regardless of the, the, the views of the community now, why the hell has he done that? Why is he selling out his electorate and why not the, the responsible minister? That's just one question that needs to be answered. The other one is, why do they want to move it here for allegedly a few days and then move it on somewhere else into a more permanent location? If they're going to leave it here for a few days, why not leave it where it bloody well is and take it from there, take it away to be treated, take it away for recycling and recovery? doesn't have to come here and Tim Pellis is the local member he'll finish up being dismembered as a result of this. I must admit that uh, when uh, the CFMEU talked about the PFAS issue down at the tunnel construction yep. Yep. there was just a whole lot of oh we don't want to know about it. Well that doesn't surprise me uh, what's happened is that they pulled the plug on uh, on the tunnel project they're not tunnelling because it's not safe. The workers have been laid off because it's not safe for them to continue in that environment. Yet it appears to be perfectly safe, according to Tim Pellis and Denial Andrews, to bring it down here. The people of Werribee obviously don't count. Yep. I'm from 3CR. Can you tell me why you've come here, why you're concerned about this issue? Well, because we don't want the toxic waste with us here. We always seem to be copping everything over this side of the town. And it's something we definitely don't want for our families or anyone else, so I'm here to support it. 
Well, unsupport it. <laughs> well, unsupport, you know, support the rally for the, we don't want the toxic waste here for sure, definitely. I think we have enough stuff lambed in on us, don't we? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I was just wondering if you'd give me some words about why... This is our spokesperson, Lisa. Okay, I'll have a word with Lisa. G'day Lisa, can Hi. I talk to you? I'm from 3CR, can you tell me about the campaign? Uh, yeah, sure, what would you like to know? We're going to rally tonight against um, Transurban and the government's proposal to dump toxic soil in Wyndham. Yeah, well, apparently uh, that they're temporarily putting it here. How long's temporary? Is it a minute? Is it a day? The contaminants in this soil shouldn't spend one minute out of a properly contained facility. There's a lot at stake, isn't there? There is. Uh, health, uh, the health of our river, our vegetable farmers, uh, the, uh, the food bowl for this whole state. Uh, not, you know, property values, our livelihoods, um, the way we feel about our community, everything. No consultation? Absolutely nothing. We found out through the media. We haven't heard boo from Transurban. I sent them an invitation to this. I've sent them emails. We haven't had any correspondence whatsoever. You haven't had much trouble getting quite a few people to come and uh, support this campaign, have you? No, I'm thinking we should have a really good crowd here tonight. I know our community. It's a proud community. It's a strong community. And when we're united, we're, um, we're, we're going to be unbeatable. So. There was a, a, a plan to do a toxic dump in the 80s, which caused a massive backlash. Yes, it did. Yes, that's correct. Um, and that was a Kennett government. So, you know, it doesn't matter who's in power, whether it's Labor, whether it's Liberal. Uh, we need to send a message. We live in a great area and stop dumping on us. We're not going to take it. Do you think that there's any plan to, uh, I mean, temporary, uh, I mean, I was imagining burying it, but I mean... No. no, we don't have a landfill facility. This is a rail stabling yard. There, so we'll dump it on top of the ground, 70 metres from the Werribee River. It sits on top of aquifers that actually feed that river. Uh, they're putting at risk uh, V-Line employees, houses that are 70 metres away, proposed schools. When the wind blows, airborne contaminants will blow straight over Tarnate. Anything else I should ask you? Uh, I don't know. We're going to win. <laughs> oh, do you think he will? I hope he does. And we'll give him another serve like we did last week. What happened last week? Tell me. I just come in and all he was interested about was the western, how, how good the new tunnel is going to be for the western suburbs. He actually wasn't here to speak about the issue of the toxic soil. So have you, you've been uh, living here for a while? Yeah, I've been living in Werribee for probably 19 years now and I love Werribee and I don't want this soil landed on our back doorstep. If they want to get rid of it, stick it over in Williamstown or Toorak where it belongs, not here. You live around here? I live around here. I'm a qualified asbestos removalist. I have full tickets for the asbestos removal and I definitely agree with all these people. I wouldn't want any of that contaminated soil near where I live. You live and uh, you live in Windvale, so they're going to have this big rally here. Yep. Um, obviously paid for by the council, because mm. otherwise it wouldn't be such a big event. Definitely. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about it? As a resident, not happy. Not happy. Not happy. Again, no consultation. 
same as um, the juvenile one that they tried to put in here um, 12 months ago, so they're not happy. And also, I notice you've got uh, the T-shirt on, which yep. is at your RTBU, and um, this all originally started with the CFMEU pointing out that uh, PFAS is incredibly toxic, and everybody to do with it, other than them, were saying, oh, nothing to see here. Um, yeah, so obviously to try to keep it under wraps, but... Um, Literally, yeah, a black definitely. plastic. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, so, um, yeah, as a, you know, a rail worker as well, um, you know, we've got trains running up and down right alongside where they're going to dump it, you know, so obviously it could affect the, um, you know, employees, public that are travelling on these trains. Um, yeah, without any consultation, without any risk assessments or anything like that. So, um, yeah, they've got to give us something or we'll put it somewhere else, first and foremost. There's probably ways they could go about it. Um, well, there is a problem. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a problem just getting the soil out of the tunnel. <laughs> they, they normally shut the project down. Um, but obviously, I don't know how they got it through, but... Um, yeah, they've got to put it somewhere, but... I wonder about the uh, health effects on the people who were dealing with it. Exactly right. Um, and I think that's half the reason they nearly shut the project down. But, yeah, I don't know too much about what's happening internally, so I just know as a resident and as a rail worker, um, yeah, not happy. You're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie, and we're down at the... Uh rally that was held on Tuesday night in uh, Werribee around the uh, idea of uh, doing, uh, getting rid of the PFAS that uh, has uh, surfaced at the uh, tunnel project in the west there. Uh, the uh, Transurban said that, oh, it'd be a great idea to put it over in uh, near uh, uh, Werribee in Windenvale, but uh, the locals are right up from uh, the ground up to the uh, top top of the pecking order are pretty unhappy about it. There were a lot of speeches. There were uh, people from the VU Uni uh, speaking scientific talk and there was uh, the uh, Labor um, a federal member for Layla. She was there saying, uh, directing attention to Transurban's role in it. Uh, there was also the uh, uh, Liberal member, uh, Bernie Finn, from, uh, the, who represents the Western region, uh, uh, rubbing his hands with glee, I'd, I'd have to say. Uh, but uh, we, I've got a couple of speeches for you to uh, get an idea of uh, the uh, local outrage. No unions know how to take on a battle, don't we? The next gentleman from the Rail Tram and Bus Union. His name is Vic Sharma. He's a community act activist and says he's passionate about Wyndham, as we all are. Uh, he's been in the rail industry for the last six years. And as we know, this, uh, this proposed site is right beside the Geelong to Werribee and Melbourne railway line. Uh, he worked at the RTBU as an industrial officer and an organiser since last year. But please welcome Vic. getting a bit cold. We shouldn't be here today. We should be home with our families, our friends, sharing a meal or a laugh. 
But the Victorian government, the government we elected, they've left us with no other choice than to come out here today and to express our frustration and anger. Our backyard is not a toxic waste dump and our community is responding accordingly. Asbestos has been a known hazard for decades, a threat to not only our health but our way of life. And yet, the government plans to dump the toxic waste at the site, which by the way, is not only meters away from housing and planned schools, but also includes the Wyndham Vale Rail Yard, which is set to open in the few uh, months. The audacity is deafening. The Wyndham Vale Rail Yard will become the workplace for so many workers, members of our community. But little Timmy Palace. Little Timmy Palace shows not a bone of consideration. Who in their right mind would want to pollute the future work, workplace of the workers and put their safety at risk? You might ask Tim Palace, who in their right mind would put a community through angst and suffering? Tim Palace, that's right. Where is he? Nowhere to be seen. It is every worker's fundamental right to a workplace which is safe and free from dangerous chemicals. And the government has no bloody right to take it away from us. The Rail, Tram and Bus Union, as it always has, stands ready to protect its members from this dangerous toxic dump. We are standing by this campaign and we are going to fight it all the way. The West is littered with temporary toxic dumps. It's a shame our local MP, the Honorable Tim Ballas, who is supposed to represent us, the people who elected him in the first place, is trying to justify this in every possible way he can. He claims it's only a temporary measure. You know what we say to that? Wake up, Tim! Get out of your palace! And see, the people of Wyndham are not stupid! How does it make any sense to bring 1.5 million tons of toxic soil to Wyndham and then move it to another location in a few days. Anyone could tell you that's a stupid idea, Tim. And Mr. Palace, well, there he is. Mr. Palace, while we appreciate you don't live in the area, but we do, our families do, and you have no right to attack our families. Hundreds of people have gathered here today for a reason. And the reason is to send a loud and clear message to the Andrews government. The toxic soil is not welcome in Wyndham.
we got uh, uh, Peter Mayle, who's the chairman of the committee for Wyndham. Uh, he's a partner at uh, Findex Accountants uh, and business advisor in Werribee, past chairman of the Werribee Mercy Hospital Foundation, uh, and he knows what it's like to fight for your community. Please welcome him to the stage. Thank you and good evening. The Committee for Wyndham is absolutely opposed to this proposal by Transurban and the Westgate Tunnel Project partners to use the Hobbs Road transfer facility as a temporary dumping ground. We understand that the proposal was made by Transurban, but let me remind the, our local member and the, this state government that this is a government site. They own it. They can say no. So our, object, our objection is not based merely on emotion. Our objection is economical and the social well-being of the broader Wyndham community. Hobbs Road site is only 70 metres away from existing residents and future development sites. How can such a site get EPA approval? The Hobbs Road site is only 700 metres away from the Werribee River. The Westgate Tunnel Project Management Options, or sorry, the Soil Management Options, state that this site will have soil walled holding bays. If toxins get into the Werribee River, imagine the impact on the Werribee South Farms. Those farms, as we heard Joe say, produce 85% of Victoria's cauliflower, 55% of Victoria's broccoli, and 70% of Australia's lettuce. How? As well as the farms, we have an international barramundi breeding company in Lock Avenue, who chose this area because of the water. They supply 25 countries with barramundi fingerlings. It is a world-class facility. Will be destroyed by the toxins that hit the river. Again, I ask, how can this site ever get EPA approval? There's talk that there's going to be a million tonne of toxic dirt being transferred. And given that most trucks carry about 45 tonne, and the soil management document produced by Transurban says that they will be trucked in, that's 427 trucks a week. 61 trucks a day on roads that are already congested and roads that come through our community. We can't let this happen. Never. The Committee for Wyndham calls upon the government to immediately rule out the Hobbs Road site. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we have one more person that we really want to hear from. Uh, this is a very important person in this fight. 
we heard from Lisa Heinrichs before, one of the uh, key movers and shakers for so many battles to protect our city. Uh, I call them L1 and L2. Lisa 1 and Lisa 2. Uh, Lisa Markovic is, uh, is kind of mini-me to Lisa Heinrichs in a way, although she's a bit taller. And uh, she has been a key organiser of this event tonight and this fight. So please welcome to the stage Lisa Markovic. Hi everyone. First of all, I know it's getting cold and it's getting late uh, and your nose was probably dripping like mine is, so I'll be quick. Thank you very much on behalf of the uh, Wyndham uh, community that, that we've got here. The message that we're giving tonight is very loud and very clear. My family have been here for four or five generations as many of yours probably have. Some of you haven't been here very long, but you love this place just as much as we do. We've done this before and we will do it again. Every time this government tries to throw something at us, we will only come back harder and stronger. Mr. Pallas, Mr. Andrews et al, we will not go away. You cannot bully us into accepting what you continually are trying to do to us. We don't buy your lies and we will be here fighting for as long as it takes until this comes to an end. Please respect our community that we love. We love the place that we live in. Please start respecting us and treat us the way that we deserve to be treated. We're an intelligent bunch. We know what we're talking about. We're not silly, although they insist on treating us that way. Thank you to all of our wonderful speakers tonight. I know there was a few, but we felt it was really important that you were given the facts because the government aren't giving you the facts. We've heard from experts who know what they're talking about. We all know what this is about. There is nothing temporary about this plan. As soon as that soil hits the ground here, it won't be going anywhere. And even if it does, it will leave a trail of destruction behind it and we will not have it. I'd like to say a huge thank you um, to all of our wonderful market gardeners who have brought the tractors down again. The support that everyone shows each other in this community is unbelievable. Thank you to all of our speakers and especially to all of you who have come out tonight on a weeknight. You have families, you have responsibilities, but clearly this is important enough to you that you've braved the cold weather and you've made it happen. You've come together again and you should be so proud of yourself. Thank you so much.
or ongoing never-ending trials around the cashless welfare card regions are Sejuna from 2016 until current, all payments for people up to the age of 67, including disability support and their carers. Kananara, 2016, also up to the current, the same as Sejuna, the same conditions. And Kalgoorlie, 2018, the same as the above conditions now to current. The Hinkler, Bundaberg, Harvey Bay region since 2019 with under-36 youth allowance, new start parenting payments at this time. Can you start, Catherine, by introducing yourself, what campaign you're part of and, and region? Uh, my name is Catherine Wilkes and I'm part of the No Cash Just Welfare Debit Card Australia group and we've been fighting against the cashless debit card. And originally I was living in Harvey Bay, fighting and protesting against the card coming into the Hinkler region in Queensland. But previously to that, we were online. Um, we've been here since the beginning with Seduna, trying to stop this card from expanding and rolling out. And the cashless welfare card quarantines 80% of a person's income and is controlled by a private company called Inju. And however, the accounts are set up by the Department of Social Security without the recipient's consent. And um, Can you talk about what that means? Well, what that means is that if you're in a trial area and um, you're subject to the trigger payments, which the government has set down, for instance, Hinkler's a little bit different to the rest of them, but um, then you will be issued a, a, an Indu card without your consent. It'll just arrive with a letter in the mail telling you to activate the card. And you so, mentioned the phrase trigger payments. Just to explain to people, what does that mean? Okay, so with the trigger payments, for instance, with Saduna, Kananara and the Goldfields, the trigger payments are all working age payments. So up to old age pension, that includes disability and support carers pension payments, okay? In Hinkler, it's for youth allowance, new start and parenting payment under 36 is only at this time. The department has got lists and we've got them out on our sites as well and you can see which payments and it's just about every payment goes onto the card, every supplement, every advance, family tax payments. The cashless card leaves 20% of their income in their bank accounts as their legal fiscal worth. How does having only 20% of income in people's bank accounts impact people? Well, for a start, it's not enough. They're locked out of the second-hand market. But more so that if you wanted to be able to take out a, a loan for a car, you can't do that with your bank because you no longer qualify under the credit lending criteria set down by the banks. 20% is all they'll recognise in your bank. So this is forcing people to go to higher interest finance companies that will do it, but the person still has to pay the loan repayment out of their cash portion in order to be able to continue that loan. But they're forced into a higher interest rate loan. Catherine, what are some of the latest stories you're hearing in these regions about people's experiences with the cashless welfare card called INJU? biggest issues is rent payments. Payments not being paid on time. People are subject to a 28-day cycle, so that stuffs people up as well because they go to pay their rent and their money's not there to pay the rent. And then they'll go and ask, well, why can't I pay my rent? And they'll say, oh, 
oh, your 28-day cycle's not up yet, you'll have to wait a couple of days. But this puts people behind in rent. You get breach letters and you get situations where people on periodic leases or on cash rentals, right, where Indu won't allow the person to access funds for rent at all because landlords uh, are protected under different laws under the RTA. And some landlords don't want to fill out a signed and dated fixed lease. They have other ways of collecting their rent. So for people that are caught in that situation who the landlord just wants their money... Like cash payments? and Yeah, cash payment, right, or just a direct debit from that person's bank account. They haven't got a signed, fixed, dated lease. Right, the situation becomes really muddy because Indu won't release the cash to the person's bank account, and this can cause people to become homeless. And I've got that situation at the moment with a single mum of three, that her landlord just refused to do the paperwork the way that Indu wanted it done, which is his prerogative, you know. But the result is now that she's being evicted, and it's causing her a lot of stress. And, and I've had other people along the way that have become homeless because when rents are paid four or five days late continuously, eventually owners and landlords, land agents get, that's it. You know, your rental history is stuffed. It's very problematic, especially we have a housing crisis. We've got a lot of people that share house and it gets very complicated with those issues as well. A lot of people who can't get the relevant paperwork for share housing will end up making an arrangement to pay for the groceries for the household or pay bills at the house with the card, right? Because it's too hard to get the money to pay for their share of rent and utilities. Incredibly complex and inflexible system. You mentioned rent. and Another example which we spoke to someone recently on Over the Wall about was the recent bushfire focus, putting a particular area of need on people to respond to crisis and emergency on the cashless welfare card. The government did make some flexibility with releasing payments for a period of time. What have you heard about that? What became very evident is in a situation where there's no power and no internet, no comms. We saw people being told to evacuate. They were given preparation time which meant that those people could go and get some cash out of the bank, right, buy food, whatever. For a person on a cashless debit card, they don't have that option. So if you've got a couple of days where you're told by authorities to prepare, okay, you don't have the option of going and getting cash out of the bank in case the comms go down. We saw through the media stores and service stations running and operating on cash-only basis. For somebody on an Indu cashless debit card, that could be the difference of being able to get out or not get out. To expand that further, for instance, Queensland has cyclones. All over the Northern Territory, recently, towns have been without power or without Telstra comms for weeks. And for those on basics cards, I've already gone through this where towns are crying out because those people can't access money for food. Right, they can't use their basics card, they can't use it at their store, and they can't use it to pay their power, and they can't access their portion of cash either because their comms are down, so they're paralysed. They've got no money, no access to anything because the, the infrastructure can't hold up to the remoteness of their location, the weather, 
So irrespective, whenever you get a natural disaster and all the comms go out, anybody that's on any form of income management or cashless debit card is going to be in a situation at risk. It's going to put lives at risk because it can be the difference of being able to get out or not. And that's lives of families, lives of children, lives of people right across the community, elderly people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we saw last year or so there was an article from the Tiwi Islands and those people up there all on basics card and they use their cash portion. They have to pay for their electricity through like a metre, okay? Or they couldn't pay for their power and they couldn't access anything and they went underwater. And I remember seeing a video of people standing there with water gushing through their front yards, calling for help. <laughs> and then the media just went all quiet. We don't know what happened. Do you know what I mean? Cyclone season, monsoon season, just leaves them paralysed and hungry. This is a public service announcement. And number two. You have the right. You're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie and thanks to Peter Davis for Over the Wall and he'll, he's will he got a, uh, a continuing series that's going to be around the cashless welfare card. Some people out there seem to have forgotten that the cashless welfare card is one of the things that are on the agenda for the national government. They believe that by automating uh, the uh, social security system that they're going to save themselves lots of money. But the problem is that for people who are on in receipt of social security, it is absolutely destroying people's lives. And if you think that the uh, old age pension is going to be quarantined, you're completely wrong. Uh, it, we're talking about the entire social security system here. Uh, there's already moves to have the next group of uh, so-called trial runs, which uh, interestingly enough have no end date uh, to include the the old age pension. So be very scared and people should be pushing back mightily. Uh, Thank you very much, Peter, for your report. Uh, We're going to go to a thing that I went to this week, which was the Australian International Documentary Conference. And uh, there was this fantastically interesting Welcome to Country. Uh, It's a longer than usual Welcome to Country. And uh, as was pointed out to me that uh, the uh, Welcome to Country is becoming much more a process of educating people about uh, the issue of country. So it's very, I found it really interesting. So I'm going to share um, but before I begin, I would just like to welcome Garen Steele um, to the stage who is going to welcome us to country. So please give him a round of applause. Uh, thank you, everyone, and good morning. Uh, my name is Garen Yarraman Steele. I am a member of the Briggs family. Uh, my mother... Carolyn Briggs, Parbanada, Carolyn Briggs, 
and my great-great-grandmother Louisa Briggs, who was uh, born in this part of Melbourne about 190 years ago, give or take five or ten years. Um, we can't really pinpoint a day because there was no birth certificates at the time, but we can, we can find an approximate date given that she records later in her life about the third house in Melbourne being built. Um, and like Louisa, I was also born on country, not too far from here, just over at the Queen Victoria Hospital, so this place has a lot of significance to me. As well as that, uh, my uncle Freddie Briggs, uh, trained to be a projectionist just over the Emily McPherson building, not too far from here as well. And my brother Jason Briggs spent countless nights in this library uh, piecing together our family history, our language and our culture. And it's because of these people, people like Louisa, people like Uncle Freddie, and people like my brother Jason, people like my mother, Carolyn, that I'm able to be here today to talk about culture and to share culture with you. As my mum often says, uh, reconciliation is not the respect and value of Aboriginal culture, but when Aboriginal culture becomes a shared part of our Australian way of life. So in order to achieve that, we share culture. One of the cultural things that we can share is the welcome to country, although maybe a little bit misnamed because uh, in this part of Australia, we don't call it welcome to country, it's called Tandarum. And unlike what you may have heard of, that, that first phrase, Womanjika, does not in fact mean welcome, and you're not welcome. Um, on the contrary, you're being challenged. You're being challenged to identify what you're here for. What is the significance, what is the importance, and what is your purpose? That's a great question, I think, to start off when you meet someone's what your purpose is. Come with purpose to my beautiful home, land of the two bays. The second part of our welcome to country is what we call the promise. So once the purpose has been stated and, and, and acceptance for that purpose has been agreed upon, the next part is called the promise. And this is a clear distinction that you're coming onto sovereign ground. You see, the promise dates back to our origin story. Uh, according to our traditions, the land where we meet, uh, the lands of the Kulin, was created by Bunjil. Bunjil's our creator spirit. Now, Bunjil has always taught the Kulin people to welcome guests, but he's always required us to ask all guests to make two promises. The first promise is quite simple. Don't harm the land or the children of Bunjil. The second promise is a lot more nuanced. It is to honour and respect the laws of Bunjil. And I'm sure in 2020, um, not many of us know how to do that because it's not something that we're taught in schools. Um, but we can do that through three different behaviours or three different commitments. Commitments to certain protocols. Firstly, there's a commitment to your language, or what we call knowledge. Uh, thinking knowledge, not just in our Western way of thinking as something that empowers us, um, but rather something that we need to be responsible for. I'm sure many of you understand the responsibility that we have for knowledge, uh, the truth of knowledge, but also the continuity of that knowledge. 
much like my ancestors, we didn't have uh, the technologies that we have today. All knowledge was passed orally. And so it was even more important to make sure that knowledge passed down the generational um, ladder. The next one is what we call Jambana. Now, Jambana, much like Womanjeka, is often misunderstood as being to celebrate. But what it really means is coming together for a shared purpose. So identifying what our purpose is in that room and using that as a unifying power. Because we are different, and it's good that we're different, and we should value the differences that we have, because that gives us more power, gives us more strength. But really, to unify, we have to focus on what we have in common, shared purpose. The final commitment that I ask you to make is honouring sacred ground. Now, why you can do this at events such as these and, and, and at work when you've got your acknowledgement signs and, and so on and so on, um, it's also something that you can do when you go home, something you should be doing when you go home. Uh, acknowledging country, acknowledging the stories and the history of the people that have come to pass on the land that we stand is the most important way that we can connect to the places where we work and live. For instance... Um, Today, I could probably ask many people in this room, do we speak any Kulin words? Do we speak any Woiwurrung or Bunwurrung words? And, and not many of you would put your hands up. Um, but I challenge you because I reckon you could speak quite a few. Just looking at the names of different suburbs, we've got Turak, or Turuk, meaning reedy swamp. Uh, Puran is a really beautiful one because it's the sound of the, uh, uh, the water going over the rocks. Um, Talamarine. If you're not from Melbourne, you would have come through Talamarine Airport. The name of a Wurundjeri man that burned down the prison to escape. And when we want to escape, we go to Talamarine. Right? <laughs> but he didn't escape alone. He escaped with his brother, Muni Muni, Muni Pons. And they went to a resting place, Murubin. I think in Australian that's Murabin. <laughs> so we're using Indigenous languages and these words mean something. They mean something to the places where we work and live. But we need to acknowledge that and we need to investigate more about the places where we work and live so that we can have a stronger connection to country. And if we can commit to those three things, your lens, knowledge, uh, jambana, shared purpose, and honouring sacred ground, then I can say in the words of my ancestors, confidently, Thank you. Hi, I'm Stuart. Hi, I'm Marita. We are the Orb Weavers, and you're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital radio and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Solidarity.
Minority Bricky Team Lister when integrity continues to dominate the public domain. The need for a smash the evil unions and evil union bosses integrity bill, for example, and the government has now also drawn up an anti-corruption authority without the anti-corruption bit integrity bill, unless the corruption is by someone the government doesn't like, like the evil unions and evil union bosses, although they're already covered by the smash the evil unions integrity bill. Anyway, the Attorney General crushed them Porter says the new integrity bill wouldn't look at the sports rort, which isn't a sports rort, for instance, because no crime has been committed. So apparently the mooted body can't investigate to see if a crime has been committed until it has been proven a crime has been committed. Uh, so what can they investigate, crush them? Well, an obvious example is the way the Socialist Party keeps carrying on about the sport's non-rorts. It's criminal. So it's clearly going to have teeth. The evil unions are so evil, they are even diabolical while taking protected action, and surely that very uh, limited concession should be removed. Why should they be allowed to take industrial action at all? But this week, the evil, evil, evil CFMEU was fined half a million dollars because it abused the protected action privilege by picketing and preventing scabs, or sorry, that's an illegal term, preventing good workers who just want to do more than a fair day's work for less than a fair day's pay and goods entering the site. One truck driver said they even, wait for this, even banged on his truck. And a unionist was fined $13,000 something for calling one of the good workers a scab. Indeed, I think it's worse. I think he said an effing scab. I reckon these uncouth criminals with no respect for the law got off light at only half a mil. On the other hand, respect for the law, proving we don't need a good caring business class integrity bill, caring employers who owe billions, literally billions, in unpaid superannuation, including the deductions from their workers' wages getting a bit mixed up with their profits, an offence with massive penalties, including being fined the amount they stole, or sorry, uh, inadvertently got mixed up with their own wealth, millions of dollars, and this is, this is wonderful news for these poor caring employers. Well, not as poor as their workers perhaps, but wonderful news, they have been granted an amnesty by the government, a promise they won't be prosecuted for inadvertently getting their workers' money mixed up with their profits. Because good caring employers are not evil like those workers. Oh, and did I mention the evil CFMEU got fined half a mil for calling good workers scabs and picketing a caring employer? And the supremo of Deliveroo and Be Exploited is just so concerned about the exploited, he has called on the government to pass new industrial relations laws. We are seeing governments around the world plan to introduce modern legislation which is fit for this modern economy, combining the flexibility of on-demand work, which people want, with the security they deserve. Ed McMakers money pleaded. Now, a little suggestion, Ed. Why wait for legislation if you're so concerned about your gig workers? Why not? Here's the suggestion, Ed. Just do it. Meanwhile, workers for that international celebrity chef Heston Bloom and Rob Yuall are still waiting to be paid, but they're not orphans. And we can be sure they haven't been paid with integrity. That's why we don't need a smash the caring employer's integrity bill.
Oh, and did I mention the evil CFMEU got fined half a mil for calling good workers scabs and picketing a caring employer? I'm not sure. On coronavirus, Trudeau was his highest paid corporate big supremo, the flying kangaroo's Alan Joystick, and aren't we all so proud of the flying kangaroo since the sadly lamented nuclear hawk himself and the world's greatest worst ex-treasurer Paul freed it from the bloated hand of the inefficient public sector when we all owned it. Anyway, Alan said he was, ta- he was taking a decision as business declines due to the virus for the good of our people just a few days after threatening to replace some of the good people with scab labour. Uh, sorry, sorry, done it again, that, that's illegal, with workers prepared to do more than a fair day's work for less than a fair day's pay. And what decision have you made for the good of your people, Alan? I will make 750 of them no longer our people. Reducing their income to zero, leaving Al earning literally infinity times their uh, their wage or their non-wage doesn't sacking, oh sorry, sadly having to let go, downsize 750 workers for their own good show, Al is a big George Orwell fan. Notice the government is now offering businesses compensation for losses due to the virus. Not sure why it's the public person's responsibility to interfere in the market, although the caring business class community, which loathes socialism and anything that remotely looks like it, is very sure it is the government's responsibility, and they're the experts in laissez-faire market forces, but we have to give the government top marks for its honesty this time in making the clear proviso, marginal seats only need apply. As it finds billions to assist businesses across the country affected by the virus and the summer disasters which had nothing to do with the climate change the government knows it had nothing to do with, can't help thinking, how can it afford this largesse, billions for the caring business class, but keep repeating it can't afford to pay doll budgers one cent more than the massive handout on which they are whooping it up? Guess it's the deserving and the undeserving. After it was disclosed that, inf- disclosed that information given to Parliament about the sports rort, which wasn't a sports rort, uh, affairs, wasn't quite the whole story, wasn't quite the truth, the whole truth and nothing but. The new sports rort, which aren't rorts, Minister Richard Colback-Rorts, said he didn't see his earlier comment as lying to the Senate. I saw it as putting a different view, he explained, proving once again that life for satirists is becoming more and more difficult. Ditto with this headline arising out of the Crook Casino inquiry. Casino self-regulation doesn't work. Gee, who would have thought? What's wrong with putting the policing of money laundering, problem gambling, integrity generally in this industry of integrity in the hands of Jamie Puker? After all, he's one of True Blue Aussie's richest people, therefore a man of integrity. We recall last year the fossil industry calling for the smelling salts after the head of the New South Wales Environment Court, Justice Preston, refused a coal mine licence because of its climate change impacts, including the Scope 3 impacts, that is, the pollution created by the customers, local or overseas. One of three cases which upset the poor fossils over primary and Scope 3 impacts. 
Thankfully, the New South Wales government is attempting to fix up the mess by making it illegal to take applicants to uh, take applicants' pollution into account. In other words, making it illegal for the Environment Court to consider the environment. Although South 32, coal mining offshoot of our proud True Blue Aussie icon BHP, bloody huge profits, bloody huge polluter, is still concerned just in case. Many industries could be affected if Scope 3 emissions become a pivotal part of project approvals. If it comes into the planning process, it has an impact not just on mining, but on roads, airports and anything you can think about. CEO Graham Care for Profits warned, showing what a great man he is, looking at the big picture and showing his powers for thinking about. We need clear guidance, he said. Well, Graham, we can help you there. Flog coal to a steel mill in China, for instance, and you have to take responsibility for the pollution that will generate. Simple as that, Graham. Graham? Graham? Oh, dear. Look, we know there's a run on lots of products over the coronavirus panic, like toilet paper, but with the poor fossil industry, there's going to be a huge run on smelling salts. Graham? Graham? And now he's out to the world. No idea why there's a rush on toilet paper, but it certainly opens the way for the usual array of very crude and obvious so-called jokes. So I won't bore you with any of them, listener, because I know it would give you the shits. One of the great resource fossil giants, Rio Tato the Planet, has announced it will spend $1 billion over the next five years on climate initiatives. One billion over five years, won't that make a huge dent in its profits? But on the other hand, it's nothing compared to what they've made over decades stuffing up the environment in the first place, creating the problem. It too will appreciate the New South Wales initiative to make it illegal for environmental assessments to consider the environment. After all, it's outrageous that we can go into an environmental assessment process in good faith and not have the project approved. It's unthinkable. And if that isn't outrageously unthinkable or unthinkably outrageous enough, it gets worse. Last week, the Court of Appeal in Her Most Gracious Majesty's home country refused to allow a third runway at Heathrow because of its environmental impact, but it was contrary to that country's Paris commitments. Although that also offers some ray of light through the smog for fossil applicants here. It's hard to imagine a proposal that could be contrary to True Blue Aussie's Paris commitment. Continuing our celebration of International Women's Day and Labor Day, sorry, Moomba get together and have fun and no politics allowed day, that problem with caring employers mixing up workers' super money with their own uh, industry super true blue Aussie estimates about 1.6 billion men lose 3.8 billion a year and 1.3 million women lose 2 billion a year in super contributions showing equal pay is working a treat. Finally, it's amazing, isn't it, how caring employers and their puppets can keep mouthing integrity without blushing. Good morning. 
Yes, good morning, Kevin. This is Annie back again for Solidarity Breakfast on 3CR. And uh, we're going to move along to something that actually going a little bit back into the past, but into the future at the same time. Uh, Religious discrimination bill. Uh, That, of course, is another one of the uh, crazy, crazy party games that uh, the federal government is uh, engaging in. And uh, there was a rally put together by the Rainbow Alliance uh in February around this uh and if you want to get some of the uh, other speeches that were held you can go on to queering the air which is a Sunday program on 3CR they uh featured this rally but uh this is not one of the ones that they featured this is uh Senator Janet Rice who uh is uh leading the charge against the religious discrimination bill in parliament so i want to introduce the next speaker, and there's been a bit of a shake-up in the Greens, and Janet Rice remains a senator in, in the Greens. And I have to say that Janet Rice is and always has been a tireless advocate for LGBTIQA plus Australians, and she's the co-chair of the Australian, uh, the Parliamentary Friends of LGBTIQ Australians. Please welcome Senator Janet Rice. Thank you, Rob, and thank you all for being here. What a fabulous crowd we are! Woo! I want to begin by acknowledging that we are here, however, on stolen land, and I want to pay respect to the people of the Kulin Nations, the Wurundjeri, the Bunurong people, to their elders past and present, and to acknowledge that when we are talking about justice, we have got a long way to go. Now, I particularly want to acknowledge any black First Nations people who are here with us because you have got it doubly hard. And I want to commit ourselves to be working for, for justice, working for truth in the beginning. Truth is what we need, and for justice and for treaties with our First Nations people. Now, I'm going to start with some good news. And as you know, we were back in Canberra last week, and the good news is that this rotten legislation, we didn't see any of it. It wasn't there, which is great. I mean, of course, it was because the Morrison government were pretty caught up with their own, their woeful inaction on our climate emergency and our fire emergency. They were battling the corruption of the sports brought. But at least we didn't see this rotten legislation. But Sadly, I think it is only a short reprieve because I know they want to pursue it and maybe it might be next week that we see it introduced. But, look, I want to start by putting on the record that I and the Greens support the rights of people who have a religious faith to not be discriminated against. The fundamental right, it should exist. But that doesn't mean that their right to not be discriminated against should give them the right to discriminate against others. And it's pretty simple. That's where we need to draw the line. And that's where this legislation just totally oversteps the mark. And it's it's deliberate, of course. I mean, Roz has just outlined all the things that this bill would allow. I mean, basically, this bill would allow abuse, and not just against the LGBTIQ plus community, but against women, against people of colour, against people with disabilities, against older people. It would allow 
humiliating, yes. <laughs> it would allow humiliating, insulting and offensive language that's currently prohibited, that's currently illegal. It would allow, allow that to be out there on, in the public. Shame. It would allow doctors and nurses and other health professionals to say, no, I don't want to treat you, to refuse service on, on the basis of their religious beliefs. This is not a bill that's about religious freedom. This is a bill that is giving special legal privilege to religious prejudice. It is a Trojan horse of hate. So the question is then, team, what do we do? We've got to unite against it. We have got to unite against these attempts to divide us. And so that's what they are trying to do. And in particular, I want to start by saying we know that queer people are being pitted against religious people. And I know that there are a lot of people in this crowd and in the Australian communities who are actually in both communities, queer people of faith. And it's especially hard for you. So I want to say, I particularly want to say that I see you and I want you to know that you are loved and that you are supported here and we have got your back. We've got to make sure that we build effective coalitions across all the communities that are affected. So we've got coalitions of queer people working together with people with disabilities, working together with women's groups, working together with people of colour to make sure that we're all working effectively together. We can't let one community's interests be sold off and traded off for the interests of another in backroom deals between the government, Labor and the crossbench. Which, of course, brings me to my second point. We've got to ensure that Labor and the crossbench join the Greens in voting down this rotten legislation. And, and surprise, surprise, at the moment, they haven't committed to do that. We've got to ensure that there are no compromises. If you look at the numbers in the Senate, what needs to happen to knock this bill off is we need to get Labor, Centre Alliance and Jackie Lambie to join the Greens and say, this bill is a crock of rottenness that needs to be voted out completely, unequivocally, no compromises. So how are we going to make that happen? How are we going to make that happen? We've got to get active. And I know you've been active already, but yeah, and it's, and it's so bloody annoying that we have to keep on fighting for our rights. But basically, we've got to get active and we've got to make sure that Labor, Jackie Lambie and Centre Alliance hear from us. Now, it's particularly valuable and they are going to particularly listen to the people who are their constituents. And so I'm presuming that most of us here are from Victoria. Hands up if you're from Victoria. Yeah, there are a few people like that. We might have some Tasmanians here and if we've got, I recommend go for it and go and you know, lobby Jackie Lambie. We might have some South Australians. Go for it and go and lobby Centre Alliance. But basically for us here in Victoria, we mean, that means we've got a particular job to do to be lobbying Labor members of Parliament. Now, how many of you live in an area where you've got a Labor member of the House of Representatives? Quite a lot of you. How many don't know? Now, those of you that don't know, that's all right, but I suggest you find out. And if you wanted to come and talk to me or somebody afterwards, I can tell you whether you've got a Labor member of the House of Representatives. 
Now, we have most of us from Victoria. That means all of us have actually got Labor senators who are our representatives. There are four of them. There's Kimberly Kitching, there's Ras Kachone, there's Jess Walsh and there's Kim Carr. So those four senators who are going to be playing a crucial role in the vote in the Senate, they need to hear from you. You need to get in touch with them. And when I say get in touch, I actually really mean get in touch. I can tell you from an MP that if you send me an email, my staff will see the email and I'll get a report at the end of the week that says, oh yes, I've had 17 people email me about this, which is all very nice, but okay, you know, I can ignore those 17 people. So if you have got just a slight bit more time, can I suggest that as well as the email, you ring them up and you ring their office and you ask to speak to them and you'll probably be told that the Member of Parliament is dreadfully busy and hasn't got time to speak to you, but at least you can tell their Member of Staff that, you know, this is what you think about this rotten legislation and how you in are insisting that Labor have to vote against it. And then you can ask to meet with them and again, most likely, they would say, oh no, I remember the Parliament far too busy to meet with you, but you might be lucky. But even if they refuse to meet with you, I suggest you actually just go and pop along to their office. Pop along to their office and let you know how, let them know how you feel. And in fact, and I was just sort of riffing about one of the things that have got in my brain as a senator and the things I really notice is when people have dropped something off for me, whether a piece of artwork, for example, that they've created or their kids have created or their friends have created, or things like some um, rainbow cupcakes, something like that with a message attached. Uh, attached. I mean, I'm, I'm riffing here on the sort of things you could do, but that is the way to just you know, politely but firmly and most definitely tell your Labor members of Parliament that you want to see no compromises, you want to see this bill voted down in its entire... And we'll leave her there. Yes, she's given us a lot of uh, hints to uh, get active around many things, in fact, but that was uh, particularly about the Religious Discrimination Bill, uh, and we were just listening to Senate Janet Rice. She was uh, at a rally uh, earlier in February uh, organised by the Rainbow Alliance, and uh, it's been mentioned that, of course, this is uh, Monday is the uh, Labor Day holiday. It's been cleverly disguised in in Victoria with Moomba, but uh, actually, it's the eight-hour day, eight hours work, eight hours rest, uh, eight hours uh, work, eight hours recreation, eight hours of rest, the eight-hour day celebration. That's what it's about. Uh, and, of course, we're in rocky territory these days uh, regarding the uh, whole business of our industrial relations and landscape, everything's been thrown in the air. This, was, this is a good time to remember what was won in the past and why it was so important, uh, that whole idea. They say eight-hour day, but I, I just really love being reminded that what they were talking about was eight hours work, eight hours recreation, eight hours of rest. Uh, the other thing that's to, to be remembered is that uh, Sunday, uh, March the 8th, is International Working Women's Day. And at the station here, we uh, uh, celebrate that day by having a whole f a full day of female programming. And uh, before we go, I'm going to give you a taster of that because uh, I was down at the uh, rally that they had on uh 
Thursday night, um, there was a big rally. There were lots of things happening and uh, there were some cracker speeches and one of them was by a woman called, uh, uh, I think her name's Mar- Marguerite Windisch. She's a, uh, a professor at, uh, or a, uh, she teaches at uh, VU and uh, in env- environmental science and she gave a cracker speech so I'm going to play that but before I do the it was a reminder that uh, the person doing uh, welcome to country came from the Jap Rong uh, embassy up just outside Ararat uh, guarding the sacred trees the sacred birthing trees uh, those uh, in fact uh, I might play her piece too but uh, they are actually still calling pe- for people to come to the camp to protect the trees. It, it hasn't been, it hasn't finished. There has, there was a conciliation, but uh, there's still a sense of danger surrounding those trees. So if you've got any time, it's about ten kilometres out of Ararat. They would be pleased to welcome you there. Uh, but we'll start off with uh, the welcome to country, and then we'll go to uh, Marguerite. Windish, and tune in tomorrow for uh, the fabulous International Working Women's Day celebrations coming out of 3CR. Our first speaker is Amanda Mohamed. She's an Aranda woman from the Jabroon Heritage Protection Embassy. Please let's welcome her. Firstly, I would like to pay my respects to the Boonwurrung and the Woiwurrung peoples of the Kulin Nation and to their elders past and present and up and coming. And for all of us to acknowledge that this important rally is being actioned on stolen lands today. I would also likely, like to show gratitude to all the women who have stood before me and to the women in my family who have helped shape my shaky voice today. There are so many issues we as women face globally. So many, and I wish I could mention them all today. From the half a million women who died during pregnancy and childbirth to one out of three women suffering at the hands of domestic violence worldwide from the millions of girls who do not go to school every day. Women around the world face unique health challenges. In order for change, let's start from this side of the world. The first women in this country suffer daily. We are the fastest growing rate in the prison population in Australia. In this so-called justice system, First Nations women face double discrimination on the basis of race and gender. This suffering continues via child protection practices that lead to widespread removal of our children exceeding the era of the forgotten stolen generation. This perpetuates the cycle of violence in our communities. It is detrimental to our health, our families, our well-being and our culture. This is one of the reasons I stand on a front line and have done for almost two years. I stand on women's country, protecting it from the violence and the destruction from the federal and state governments. The federal and state government have given an order of approval for a duplicate highway to run through the women's birthing place. A a sacred place, a sacred place for the Japarong. It is a fight for the rights of women, their identity. It is a fight for First Nations people, our women firstly. Women were the original fire starters. We were the fire keepers. We were the original decision makers. It is time to regain that, again, in order for any of us here to move forward. Things like our recent climate movements must be led by our matriarchs. We are the nurturers and the givers. We are resilience. It must be done in order to reach equality. So I guess I'll I'll just end it with be part of that and play your part. Get active, raise your voice and know your rights as women because feminism 
is for all. Hashtag let love be your energy. Thank you. Now I'm going to introduce our third speaker for a feminist climate justice demand is Margarita Windisch. She's a social work lecturer at RMIT and she's currently researches the impacts of heat waves on older women. Please let's welcome Margarita. Thank you very much. I also want to acknowledge that we're standing on stolen land and I want to pay my respect to the traditional custodians of, the, of this land, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. And this land has never been ceded. The struggle for a safe climate is a struggle for the protection of country and it's a struggle for sovereignty. These struggles are intrinsically linked because they are the root cause of both of these struggles is a system that has violence enshrined in it, in its DNA. It's the system that has human exploitation and environmental destruction at its core. Everything we love is on the line. Everything that was solid is melting into thin air and we are all hurting. A lot of us are confused and many of us are very, very angry. Yeah. Already 10 years ago, we campaigned for 100% of renewable energy by 2020, and it was entirely possible. But the lack of political will has scuttled this opportunity for us, and we ended up with a boiling planet and a boiling continent in agonizing drought with dry rivers and unstoppable bushfires. I've been an activist for 25 years. This is the rent I pay for living on this wonderful planet. And I'm an internal optimist. But I have to tell you honestly, I've become more fearful of the future. I've become fearful for the future of our wonderful planet Earth. And I've become fearful for the future of our young people and the ones who are not even in existence yet. But at the same time, my, my anxiety is being offset by the growing mobilizations we see across the entire planet that is fighting and demanding a sustainable future. And many of these life-affirming actions are being led by young women. It is their courage. It is their wisdom. It is their creativity. And it is their tenacity that gives me hope. And it is infectious. And I thank you for that. I deeply, deeply thank you for that. And as Angela Davis says, our youth know what to do. Our youth can see the future because they're standing on our shoulders. In Australia, environmental protectors have been heavily targeted by the state and have also experienced violence from the police. We saw that of activists at IMARC, we've seen it at the anti-fracking protests, we've seen it at 
at um, a, uh, Extinction Rebellion protests. But what I'd also like to say is this. This is the same police force that kills indigenous women in custody and tells us to keep an open mind when a violent man incinerates three children and his ex-partners. It's the same police force. It is the same political parties that still promote coal and give massive subsidies to fossil fuel companies who also take away the soul's parents' pension and have thrown thousands of women and children into abject poverty. It is the same government whose criminal inaction on climate change has ignited the bushfires who also locks up people fleeing war, persecution and climate change related droughts. Now climate change is a profoundly feminist and class issue. It's the biggest threat to our global health in the 21st century and the people who've contributed the least to the climate crisis suffer the biggest consequences. This tells us it's not actually the climate hazard itself that's the problem, but it's the social and political environment they occur in. Climate change also exacerbates existing gender inequality and gender oppression, such as violence, poverty and power imbalance. Women, and especially women of colour globally, make up the majority of the world's poor and they've been put right into the firing line of the climate crisis. And the poorer women are, the higher their mortality rate in disasters. And the majority of heatwave victims are the silenced and the invisible. They are our older women who live alone, who are isolated and who are poor. And they've become the shock absorbers of a climate crisis that they did not create. And let us not forget, women's voices are being silenced when disaster happens. When disaster happens, like the bushfires, what do we see? We see the old narrative of the men who protect the women, who protect the children. And I'm not here to say that our men didn't fight hard. They have. But what about the women? Everybody would remember Paul, the, the, the uh, firefighter in the truck who said, Scott Morrison, fuck off out of Dalajan. Who remembers that? But do you also remember there was another woman in that video? There was a woman in there who told the PM to stand down. Do you know about her? Her video wasn't shared. Where are the beers for her? Do you want to know who that is? This woman is Robin Murphy. This is Robin. Robin is one of the incredible women on the front line that has been fighting the fires. And Robin is a feminist. And Robin fought for the Jobs for Women campaign in the 80s to force PHP to take on women in their steel factories. That's Robin. And there are many Robins out there. So give a hand.
thank you all the Robins of the world. You've been also fighting and protecting us. And let us not forget that anybody who dares to raise the fact that in disasters, domestic family violence increases. What happens to these people? They get vilified, they get torn to shreds by a despicable media who's got no problem defending convicted child rapists. Okay, just to finish off, the fight for a truly green and sustainable world can only be won if sovereignty, internationalism, and justice are at the heart of the struggle. We want no green fortress, no. We want no green apartheid, no way. And some of you might know that the global theme for International Women's Day this year is supposedly each for equal. Who's heard about that? And it's this weird hand sign, yeah? <laughs> each for equal. I think this is utterly lame. It's utterly lame. Because if gender equality is the goal in this utterly unjust system, our standards are too fucking low. And we become part of the problem. It's not good enough to be equal to men in this system if men act like beasts. We don't want to assimilate into a system like that. No fucking way. We are not interested in breaking the glass ceiling. We want to take down the whole goddamn oppressive house. So, comrades in struggle, let's be realistic. Let's demand the impossible. Let's reach for the stars and fight for a world worth fighting for. Thank you. Listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.